Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are beginning our study of Yechezkel, the Navi, that's the prophet Ezekiel. So we will begin with chapter 1. Chapter 1 is of Ezekiel is well known as the chapter of the Maaseh Merkava, or the uh, way of the chariot, the um, what is the vision or the vision of the chariot, which is the vision of Yechezkel, the prophet, seeing the chariot of God. And it is full of very grand and spectacular and fantastic descriptions of what he saw. There is, of course, many different ways of understanding this. If one were to understand the words literally, it may seem as if the prophet is describing what God actually looks like. However, one does not have to scratch far beneath the surface to see that this is not at all what Yechezkel is doing. As we read through this chapter, and we hope to complete chapter 1 today, um, you will notice that Yechezkel constantly refers to and descriptions of I saw something like this it appeared as if it seemed as if it looked like and then as he continues to describe his vision he gets less and less capable of describing what he's seeing which gives us the idea that the lesson that Yechezkel is actually trying to teach us is is that one cannot describe God that although one sees certain characteristics and certain, when we see God, whenever we encounter God, whether it's in an incredibly holy and lofty and fantastic vision, such as the vision of the prophet, or in our own lives, when we encounter God in our day-to-day lives, we can't really ever describe what or who he is. Everything it may seem to us, it feels to us as if, sometimes it may feel as if God is this grand, fantastic, powerful figure. But sometimes, I mean, but, but, but it's still, we're still not able in human terms, in our human minds, able to describe or understand or, or, or come to grips with what, with what or who God truly is. And that's the lesson in terms of that description. Another point, I'm, I'm making these points now, as we read through them, you'll understand and, and it'll become clear from the language of the prophet. <clears throat> the other thing that's extremely important, and this is really the true message, is Ezekiel is seeing God in a chariot. The idea is constant movement and going. And remember, he is seeing this on the river Kivar, which is a river in Babylon, and he's seeing this several years, and we'll study this in a moment, several years into the exile in Babylon. The idea being that God appears as a chariot who has left the land of Israel and is now visible in the land of Babylon is really a key message of the, the book of Ezekiel. And as his primary message to the people being God has left the temple because of the people's corruption. The temple is no longer the place where or the symbol of, of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. 
God does, does not reside there, but rather as a chariot, he will go where the people are. And that the way to, to achieve a relationship with God is not through the temple, but it is through personal improvement and becoming a better person and living the ways of the Torah, which will be the message of, of the prophet throughout the book, that every person can achieve a vision of God, can achieve closeness to God, by living the way God wants us to live, the way of the Torah, and that if we do this, eventually the, the, um, the, the relationship between the nation and God will once again be restored, and there will be a new relationship based on the temple in a completely new way with the people who deserve it. Um, and that, that the place of the temple is not is not indicative of the relationship between God and the people. So th these are two of the points that um, that that are evident in this chapter that are most important. Um, number one, the point that one cannot ever really describe God. One can try, but it doesn't work. And number two, and this is crucial for understanding this entire book, that the relationship between God and the people of Israel that used to be represented by God's presence in the temple was, is not permanent, it is over. God has left the temple because of the people's corruption and now it is time, and now, and, but now God can travel and have a relationship with people anywhere and that relationship with the people is forever and eternal but not represented by the building of the temple or the place of Jerusalem but it could be anywhere including in exile in Babylon. So let's begin. It was in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month. And I was residing in the exile among the people that were in the exile on the Har Kivar, near, in a place near the river Kivar. And in a vision, the heavens opened up, and I saw visions of God. Now, the commentaries go to town on this dating here, the 30th year, because he doesn't say what the 30th year is of, the 30th year of what. And um, there are numerous explanations, um, one being the explanation of um, the Radak and other um, commentaries that this was the 30th year in the Yovel cycle. So that would mean the, there was a 50-year cycle uh, uh, throughout the days that the people of Israel lived in their land, and this would be year 30 of the Yovel cycle. Um, <clears throat> the others say that this might have been Yechezkel's age. He was saying, in my 30th year, I was 30 years old. Uh, another uh, explanation is that this might be the... Um, the 30th year from the exile of Yehoiachin, that would be somewhat problematic because if it means the 30th year of the exile, then the next verse, which I'm about to read, verse 2, here goes, Bachamisha Lachodesh in the fifth day of the month, Hi which is the fifth year, Legolos Yehoiachin, from the exile of the king Yehoiachin. So is it the 30th year? from the exile or the fifth year from the exile. So some understand this to say 
that um, the initial verse, the 30th year of the exile of Yo-Yachin, um, is referring to the final prophecy at the end of the book, which we'll get to together soon, hopefully one day, and that this particular prophecy, the beginning, is the fifth year. Um, so that's another way of understanding it. The bottom line is we don't really know what he means by the 30th year. It could have been something else, but that's what he says. Regardless, uh, it seems clear that this particular vision, which we are going to look at as if it is the, the inaugural vision of the prophet, we had in Isaiah and in Jeremiah the inaugural vision where they saw in Isaiah, if you remember, it was a small vision of the chariot in chapter 6 where he saw this fearsome and awesome vision of God in, among the angels um, and he was tapped to be the prophet. Uh, in Jeremiah, we also saw the first vision where God asked him and tasked him to be a prophet and deliver the message to the people. In Ezekiel, this is, this is his inaugural vision and we'll analyze this as we uh, go through the first uh, this chapter and the next one even though it's a somewhat different we don't have that dialogue where the prophet refuses and then God says uh, no I want you to do it and then God says you're going to do it but we do it is still an inaugural vision so but Ezekiel is a little bit more descriptive than Isaiah was as what he saw on this vision so hayo hayo devar ben buzi it happened at this time that the word of God came to Yechezkel, the son of Buzi, a Kohen who was a Kohen, he was a priest, Be'eretz Kastim, in the land of the Chaldeans on the Har Kivar, on the river Kivar, Vatihi Alav Sham Yad Adonai. And there the hand of God was upon him. Presumably this means that he had this vision of the hand of God reaching out to him and, and, and touching him in such a way as in a similar way where we find Jacob um, putting his hands upon his grandsons uh, and it's kind of a way of, 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 of blessing but also a way of appointing him, giving him a mission. And also giving him a hand is also a, symptom, a symbol of support that I will support you in your mission as prophet. And when this hand of God was upon me, I saw then this following vision. and behold, ruach There was a, a extremely uh, stormy wind that came <coughs> out of the north. Um, um, and uh, it came out of the north. Anon gadol. There was a great cloud. The Ashmislakachas, and there was flames uh, 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 burning. Around it, mislakachas is like the 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 flickering of the flames. and there was a shine around it. and from within it It appeared that there was a chashmal, which we don't really know what this means, but some kind of a energy, some kind of a glow, some kind of a shine within the fire. Uh, the word chashmal famously is used in modern Hebrew as meaning electricity. Uh, but obviously, in, in this context, in Ezekiel, we don't know exactly what this word means. Umitochan, from within this, um, the key thing here that this this chariot was traveling, 
it was going it, it was um um uh, uh, which was the idea of the the chariot, which I, I mentioned before, the importance of it traveling. Mitocha, um, and from within this, Tumus Arbachayos was the feature of four uh, um, animals. Vizem Marehen, Tumus Adam and this is what they looked like. On one side, they they, they had the, 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 the each one had Tumus Adam, the appearance, the which stands as the, the the most is the form of a human being. So their their bodies was shaped like a human body. However, the arba ponim leachas. There was each one had four faces. The arba knafayim leachas man, and each one had four wings. That would sound like two sets of wings. Ragleim regel yeshara. Their feet were were um just one straight leg. So they had one leg. The kaf ragleim. But the soles of their feet, right, um, was kikaf regel egel, was not a human foot, it was like a calf's foot of a calf. Venotsesim ke'en nechoshes kolol. And they shined like, like shiny bronze. Like if you imagine when, if you have bronze and it's shined up and it looks really shiny and gold and smooth, that was what it shined like. There's a lot of light, a lot of brightness. And beneath their sets of wings, on on their four um, the places where the wings attached, they had underneath them the arms of human beings. And uh, their their faces and their wings. Um, were on all four sides of them. So it sounds like they had four sets of four wings on all the sides. Now, so far, he's when, as he describes the angels, he's describing them in, in significant detail, and he's not using the language of ki as or like or as if. In, in other words, as when we see the things that surround God, he's able to, they're fantastic and strong and powerful, but we're able, he's able to see them, he's able to describe them. And he continues to describe Budmus Pneam Pne Adam and their faces appeared like the a human face. Um, this is how uh, they looked. In other words, when you looked at their front, they had a face of a human being. However, Ufne Arye El Hayamin, but as you went to the right, uh, you saw a face of a lion, Ufne Sharme Hasmol. And if you look to the left, you saw the face of an ox, Liar Baton, for all four of these angels. Ufne Nesher Liar Baton, and on the back side, they had the face of an eagle. And so again, these the angels represent humanity and the power of humanity, but also all of God's creatures, all of the power and beauty associated with God's creatures are uh, are represented by these angels. And their faces and their wings were um, uh, separated above them um, it's starting to get a little bit more difficult to understand or imagine what he's describing, but you imagine these wings opened and spread above their bodies up into the air. For each one, uh, they had two sets of wings touching the other one's two sets of wings. This reminds one of the Kruvim, of the cherubs, whose wings were raised up over their heads towards the wings of the other ones. 
And the other set of wings, because remember each one had four, was folded alongside and covering their bodies. But here, this constant movement, now up to verse 12, each one was able to move in any direction because <coughs> they had four faces and there were constant movement. Wherever they they decided to go or wherever they were impelled to go, that's the direction in which they went. They didn't have to turn around to go in another direction. So if they wanted to go right, they just, the face that was on the right went that way. And the set of wings and so on went that way. If it was to the left, they went that way. They didn't have to turn around. Um, this idea of freedom of movement and constant movement is important because this is something that we see the way we relate to God is all of his angels, all of his powers, all of nature that's around us is in constant flux and constant movement. There isn't just one way to reach God, one way to see God, one way to experience God, one direction in which we can walk. There's many, many directions and many ways, many possibilities. And now he's starting to um, get holier. He's starting to get closer to the center of the chariot, the presence of God himself, so to speak. And now he's going to start using more language of, of, of like, as if where, where he's less and less capable of describing what he's seeing. Again, as we get closer to God, we're less and less capable of, of describing it as a human experience. The um, appearance of these animals looked like a glowing coal of fire and here's he uses the word like again using the word like they are burning like the appearance of 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 um of torches there was uh um that that appearance of torches kept moving among these animals uh that he saw but so he's describing something else some other power, some other light, some other force, which which he was less capable of describing. It was like a torch, like a burning flame. And it was shined like a fire, and from that emerged lightning. And the chayos would, would um, uh, either, the, either the animals would run back and forth, or they um, among the creatures something ran back and forth and what was that it was something that appeared to me like lightning in other words it wasn't exactly lightning but the best description i can have of it was was like lightning and then i was looking at these animals and then i saw that despite the fact that I saw all this movement and everything, but he adds more movement. He says, again, there was a wheel, a wheel on the ground next to each one of the creatures. And this wheel, this is verse 16, the appearance of the wheels, and the way they were built, Tarshish was glowing like a, uh, Tarshish is a stone, a very shiny stone, uh, some, translated sometimes as a beryl stone. <coughs> very shiny so <coughs> and all four wheels appeared the same and the way they appeared and the way they looked was as if there was a wheel within the wheel again he uses the word 
kit ain't tarshes who's shining as if it was like this barrel stone. Again, ka'asher, it is as if there was a wheel within a wheel. And when the wheels move, they're able to roll and move in any four any of the four directions. Again, they did not have to turn around to go in a different direction. They just went in the other direction. The rims of the of the wheels or the back of the wheels and their height was 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 frightening now why would a, a big wheel be frightening maybe because a wheel um reminded him of a chariot of war um or maybe because he wasn't able to truly describe it and it was frightening because this was a, a something that's beyond human grasp and then this frighteningness of the wheels was compounded by the fact that there were eyes all around the rim. Then that, that is a frightening thought, but he saw as if there were eyes. So not only were they, when he's experiencing this, as he's getting closer to God, not only does he see that it moves, that it's constant, that it's changing, that it's something that he cannot describe, but it's also something that's always watching, something that sees us. So it understands us, but we do not understand him. That is... The, the, the feeling of awe, the feeling of fright. And as these animals were going, the wheels were going next to them. And when they would fly, the, the wheels would fly as well. Verse 20. Wherever the, the spirit, whatever this means, the, the spirit presumably of God telling them, Go in this direction, that's the direction they would go in. That was the direction in which the Spirit directed them. And the wheels were flying, carrying next to them because the wheels had the same spirit that the animals had. When the animals went, they went. When the animals stopped, they stopped. And when they flew off the ground, then the wheels would fly next to them. They had the same spirit the wheels did as the people did. And now as he gets higher, he gets behind these wheels that were representing somehow the relationship between God and these angels and these animals, now he's getting towards the presence of God himself, so to speak. And here, he becomes completely incapable of explaining what he's seeing. And we'll see this in his words. And there was a form, above the heads of the animals, it was a, a rakia. Um, I see it translated sometimes as an expanse, or we look at it as a sky, but this vast presence, which had this, like the glow and the shine of, of 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 ice or crystal which is fearsome and awesome it was huge and shiny and it was stretched above the heads of these angels so these angels were these awesome creatures but above them was something that was way beyond what i can ever describe it was vast it was shiny but it was some but even those words aren't enough to describe what it was it was as if that's the best word he could come up with. Beneath this expanse of incredible glow and shine, 
they had a pair of wings, presumably the animals had a pair of wings, which were each in pairs, for each man, presumably this means the animals had, because um, they had the form of a man, had two wings covering here, covering their, their, their bodies. So once exposed to this expanse, the, the chayos shrink down, the wings are stop being outstretched over their heads and they fold up because they are, these animals which were so awesome and so amazingly powerful and incredible are nothing, become nothing and shrink in face of this vast presence which cannot be described. Um, and I heard the sound of their wings, they're, when they moved their wings and when they folded their wings, it sounded like the sounds of the great waters of the ocean. And again, it sounded like he had no other way of describing it other than saying it was similar to that. Kikol Shaddai Bilachtam, like the sound of Shaddai is, is, means God, it's like the sound of godliness Bilachtam while they were going. In other words, it was so great. I, it was I like the sounds of, of a God. Obviously, he doesn't know how to describe the sound of a god, but that's why I couldn't describe it. We feel the prophet struggling for words because these are things he could not describe. It was a sound of tumult similar to the sound of a, of a camp of war with all the tumult and noise. And when they stood still in front of the god, their, their wings became weak. Uh, when they stood still in front of that presence, there was a sound above that that shine expanse, which was above them. Again, he says, and then they would stop uh, with that voice, and their wings would become weak again. And now above that, so above these an, these animals, these angels, was this vast, shiny expanse, which he could not describe. Those were his best words. And above that, uh, there was Kimareyev and Sapir Dumuskisei. I saw something similar to a shiny sapphire stone, which was in the form of a throne. And upon that throne, Dumus, there was a form or a figure which appeared to me, Kimare Adam Love Milamala, as if there was a human being sitting above that throne. So remember here, he, he emphasized again what appeared to me as if, what looked like, because he could not actually describe it. That's not actually what it looked like, but that was the best explanation that he could get to. And I saw there within that was this glow of chashmal. I say glow, but we don't even know what the word chashmal means, um, which looked like the form of a fire. Base loss of there was a um, a fire encased or surrounded by some kind of a form within which this fire was in there. And this form he has zero description of. From the appearance of his, of his waist down, and up, I'm sorry, and from his waist down, it appeared to me like, like some form of flame, but not an actual flame. So again, he did not have the words for it, and there was a shine around it. Here he stops. Once he starts to describe the figure that appeared to him as God in a throne, being carried by these, these incredible angels, 
Here he stops because no longer can there be description. And at this point I saw, and here he's not describing God, but he's describing the entire vision. He saw like a rainbow, which is similar to the, to the kind of rainbow which we see in the clouds beyond Mageshem on a rainy day. This is what the, the, similar, the best comparison I can come up to of a description of the shine that surrounded this entire vision that I saw. This vision that I saw, this entire vision, was a vision of the form of the honor of God. Okay, That was what I interpreted what I saw as. This is how he experienced it. This is how he saw it, and this is the best way he could describe it. When I saw all this, I fell on my face. He was in awe. He was shaken to the core. There was no way he had, could speak. He was incapable of speaking. He was dumbfounded, so to speak. And at this point, I heard a voice speaking. And of course, that voice was speaking to me. And we will read what this voice said tomorrow when we study chapter Thank you so much for studying with us. Looking forward to studying together further chapters in Ezekiel and beyond.